Amen. Our reading this morning is from 1 Samuel. We'll be returning to James quite soon, but we're in 1 Samuel uh, this morning, chapter 25. It's page 297 in the Pew Bibles. We're going to read quite a lot of the chapter, most of the chapter, so it would be helpful if you do have a Bible. nearby to to read along with me and to keep that open for the message. 1 Samuel chapter 25, reading from verse 1, page 297 in the Pew Bible. Now, Samuel died And all Israel assembled and mourned for him. And they buried him at his home in Ramah. Then David moved down into the desert of Maon. A certain man in Maon, who had property there at Carmel, was very wealthy. He had a thousand goats and 3,000 sheep, which he was shearing in Carmel. His name was Nabal, and his wife's name was Abigail. She was an intelligent and beautiful woman, but her husband, a Calebite, was surly and mean in his dealings. While David was in the desert, he heard that Nabal was shearing sheep. So he sent ten young men and said to them, Go up to Nabal at Carmel and greet him in my name. Say to him, Long life to you, good health to you and your household, and good health to all that is yours. Now I hear that it is sheep shearing time. When your shepherds were with us, we did not ill-treat them, and the whole time they were at Carmel, nothing of theirs was missing. Ask your own servants, and they will tell you. Therefore, be favorable towards my young men, since we come at a festive time. Please give your servants and your son David whatever you can find for them. When David's men arrived, they gave Nabal this message in David's name. Then they waited. Nabal answered David's servant, Who is this David? Who is the son of Jesse? Many servants are breaking away from their masters these days. Why should I take my bread and water and the meat I have slaughtered for my shearers and give it to men coming from who knows where. David's men turned round and went back. When they arrived, they reported every word, David, every word, sorry. David said to his men, put on your swords. So they put on their swords, and David put on his About 400 men went up with David, while 200 stayed with the supplies. 
One of the servants told Nabal's wife, Abigail, David sent messengers from the desert to give our master his greetings, but he hurled insults at them. Yet these men were very good to us. They did not ill-treat us, and the whole time we were out in the fields near them, nothing was missing. Night and day they were a wall around us all the time. We were herding our sheep near them. Now think it over and see what you can do, because disaster is hanging over our master and his whole household. He is such a wicked man that no one can talk to him. Abigail lost no time. She took 200 loaves of bread, two skins of wine, five dressed sheep, five seahs of roasted grain, a hundred cakes of raisins and two hundred cakes of pressed figs and loaded them on donkeys. Then she told her servants, go on ahead, I'll follow you. But she did not tell her husband, Nabal. As she came riding her donkey into a mountain ravine, there were David and his men descending towards her, and she met them. David had just said, it's been useless. All my watching over this fellow's property in the desert so that nothing of his was missing. He has paid me back evil for good. May God deal with David, be it ever so severely, if by morning I leave alive one male of all who belong to him. When Abigail saw David, she quickly got off her donkey and bowed down before David with her face to the ground. She fell at his feet and said, My Lord, let the blame be on me alone. Please let your servant speak to you. Hear what your servant has to say. May, the, may my Lord pay no attention to that wicked man, Nabal. He is just like his name. His name is full and folly goes with him. But as for me, your servant, I did not see the men my master sent. Now since the Lord has kept you, my master, from bloodshed and from avenging yourself with your own hands, as surely as the Lord lives and as you live, may your enemies and all who intend to harm my master be like Nabal. And let this gift which your servant has brought to my master be given to the men who follow you. Please forgive your servant's offense, for the Lord will certainly make a lasting dynasty for my master, because he fights the Lord's battles. Let no wrongdoing be found in you as long as you live. Even though someone is pursuing you to take your life, the life of my master will be bound securely in the bundle of the living by the Lord your God. But the lives of your enemies he will hurl away as from the pocket of a sling. 
when the Lord has done for my master every good thing he promised concerning him and has appointed him leader over Israel, my master will not have on his conscience the staggering burden of needless bloodshed or of having avenged himself. And when the Lord has brought my master success, Remember your servant. David said to Abigail, Praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, who has sent you today to meet me. May you be blessed for your good judgment and for keeping me from bloodshed this day and from avenging myself with my own hands. Otherwise, as surely as the Lord, the God of Israel, lives, who has kept me from harming you, if you had not come quickly to meet me, not one male belonging to Nabal would have been left alive by daybreak. Then David, David accepted from her hand what she had brought to him and said, Go home in peace. I have heard your words and granted your request. When Abigail went to Nabal, he was in the household in the house holding a banquet like that of a king. He was in high spirits and very drunk, so he told him nothing, she told him nothing until daybreak. Then in the morning when Nabal was sober, his wife told him all these things, and his heart failed him, and he became like a stone. About ten days later, the Lord struck Nabal, and he died. When David heard that Nabal was dead, he said, Praise be to the Lord who has upheld my cause against Nabal for treating me with contempt. He has kept his servant from doing wrong and has brought Nabal's wrongdoing down on his own head. Then David sent word to Abigail, asking her to become his wife. Amen. Father, that is our desire, that is our prayer, and we, we ask, Father, that this time together, under the authority of, of your words, might be a, a setting by which you might be pleased to begin to answer our prayer, Father, that it might be a means by which you would be pleased to make us more like Jesus, to make us uh, more into his image and likeness, to cause us to grow in holiness. For the honor of your name and for the cause of the kingdom of Christ Jesus and for our joy in Jesus. Come, Lord. Fill us with your spirit and open your words to your people. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, 1 Samuel 25, uh, a, a long passage, and I'm very conscious that I've spent a week or thereabouts looking at this chapter, and you've had about two minutes to look at it. So I'm going to set you 
before we even begin, some homework. I think it would be helpful at some point later today, there's no evening service this evening, so at some point later today, given all that you're about to hear and to think about, to reread this chapter to yourself in a, a quiet place, prayerfully, just to have another read, to let this chapter and to let the truths that we will think about uh, together this morning, just to sink that bit deeper in. First Samuel 25, the wee uh, italicized heading in my Bible, which isn't uh, part of the inspired text, but can be helpful, uh, says David, Nabal, and Abigail. David, Nabal, and Abigail. And that is what this chapter is about. I'm not really one for sermon titles, but were I to give this sermon a title, it, it could be titled The Good, The Bad, and The Ugly, as we consider the character and the behavior of these three people in this chapter of God's words. We need a wee bit of context uh, in order to understand what's going on in, in, in this chapter. Uh, David is not yet king over Israel. God has chosen David to be king over Israel, but Saul is clinging to the crown, and he has been hunting down David like a wild animal, trying to kill him so that he can stay on the throne. And actually, as we come to the end of chapter 24, there seems to be some kind of reconciliation between David and uh, Saul. Uh, if we read uh, verse 20, where are we? 21 of chapter 24. We'll see a kind of plea that Saul gives to, to David, and David seems to respond well to that plea in verse 22. But then right at the very end, Saul returns home, but David, tellingly, takes his men back to the stronghold. So David knows not to trust the word of Saul. David knows that Saul is still out to kill him. David knows that he is still wanting to cling to the crown, to stay on the throne. David knows that Saul still wants him dead. And then chapter 25 opens with a funeral. Samuel has died. The old man of God has gone. And all Israel, Saul and his men, David and his men come together to mourn, to grieve. But after the funeral, David knows that he is in danger again. 
So he takes his men to an obscure place called Maon. It's a place that he is not likely to bump into Saul. It's an obscure place, a desolate place, and a dangerous place. It's to the south of Israel. It's it's near the border, and so it's subject to raids by the Amalekites, but mainly by the Philistines. They, they They can cross the border uh, steal some sheep, murder some people, and then, then come back over into the safety of their own territory. It's a dangerous place to be, an inhospitable place. But even in the most inhospitable of places, there is money to be made. And so there are some people living in Mahon. A certain man, this is verse 2 of 25, a certain man in Maon who had property there at Carmel was very wealthy. He had a thousand goats and three thousand sheep which he was shearing in Carmel. His name was Nabal and his wife's name was Abigail. She was an intelligent and beautiful woman but her husband, a Calebite, was surly and mean in his dealings. So David's men, when they are in this very dangerous land, treat Nabal, his people, and his property with a great deal of respect. There is no lamb on the menu for David's men, no woolly blankets for them uh, to keep warm at night. They are very, very good to Nabal, to his men, and to his property. And you can see that goodness. In the words of Nabal's own servant, verse 15, he says, These men were very good to us. They did not mistreat us. And the whole time we were out in the fields near them, nothing was missing. Not a single sheep, not a single goat. Nothing was missing. David and his men were very good to Nabal, to his men and to his property. And not only that, but Nabal's shepherds and his sheep were actually more safe and secure because David was with them. So any uh, Philistines lurking on the border might look at Nabal's men or, or, or his sheep and his goats, they might think, I, I'd quite like some of them. But they're less inclined to cross the border for a raid when they see that David's there with 600 soldiers. So David is very, very good and very, very gracious to these men. And again, if you look at verse 16, night and day, They were like a wall around us all the time. We were herding our sheep near them. Nabal has cause to be very grateful to David and to his men for their restraint and for their protection. But when David sends a wee delegation asking for some supplies as the sheep are being sheared, Nabal refuses. Now, it's important that we see how reasonable David's request was. This is 
thoroughly in keeping with the customs of the day to go and to ask a rich man who is having his sheep sheared uh, for some supplies. It's in keeping with the customs of the day. He's not asking for much given Nabal's great wealth. He asks very politely and very, very respectfully. Look at verse 6. And then verse 8, he comes with humility. And Nabal's response to this very reasonable request is filled with scorn. Who is this David, he says, verse 10? What a thing to say to the man that God has chosen to be king over the people of God. Who is this David? Who is this son of Jesse? Many servants are leaving their masters. He's saying that Saul is the master and David has been wrong to to leave, to run away. It's the most hostile and disrespectful response imaginable to this reasonable request. Nabal is, in the words of his own servants, verse 17, a wicked man. And he is, in the words of his own wife, verse 25, a foolish man. Matthew Henry says, riches are common blessings which God often gives to Nabal's, to whom he gives neither wisdom nor grace. Rich in money, but poor in character. So, the life that he lived brings to us a question this morning. What do we value most? We ought never to become a Nabal. We ought never to envy a Nabal. Nabal's treasures today are all in the ground, and what we have of him, all that we have of him, is a record of his foolishness and his wickedness. So, this is a a reminder that we ought to value our character more than we value our bank balance. What does it matter to be powerful, to be successful, to be wealthy if you are a fool in the eyes of God? So, that's our first person and our first point. Nabal, ungrateful, ungracious, unwise ugly behavior from an ugly character. And then we move from the ugliness of Nabal, his response to David's request, to David and his response to Nabal. David's servants go back to him. They tell him what Nabal has said. How does David feel? How would you feel in his shoes? He has given so much and asked so little. He is God's chosen king. And yet he has been shown such contempt by this man. He has so many pressures, so much responsibility on his shoulders. And all he asks for is just a wee bit of help. And even that, is denied. 
him by Nabal. He is furious. And you and I have probably been there at some point in our lives. We have been treated with contempt and we have felt the fury begin to rise within us. What do we do in that moment? We can justify our anger because we have not been treated fairly. We have not been treated well. We have not been treated in a way that is right. Well, maybe in our anger we remember the words of of Paul. In your anger, he says, do not sin. David didn't have the words of Paul to turn to. But he should have known that the Lord has said, it is mine to avenge. I will repay. In due time their foot will slip. Their day of disaster is near. He ought to know to think and to pray before he reaches for his sword and tells his men to do likewise. He ought to know that he is to let God judge. He ought to know, and he does know. He does know. If you look at the last chapter, chapter 24 uh, of Samuel, Uh, David has an an encounter with Saul. He's treated Saul so well. Saul has treated him so badly. Saul has tried to have him uh, killed like an animal. And David is then given the opportunity to kill Saul, but he refuses. Why would he refuse that opportunity? 1 Samuel 24, uh, verse 11 He says, I have not wronged you, but you are hunting me down to take my life. Verse 12, may the Lord judge between you and me, and may the Lord avenge the wrongs you have done to me, but my hand will not touch you. Verse 15, may the Lord be our judge and decide between us. May he consider my cause and uphold it. May he vindicate me by delivering me from your hand. David knows that it is the Lord's place to avenge. And so when he's given this opportunity to take the life of Saul, he doesn't take it. He lets the Lord judge between them. And yet the very next chapter, something smaller really, Nabal treats him with contempt, but he doesn't try to have him killed. But David forgets. In the heat of the moment, David forgets what he knows. And he responds to the anger. And he reaches for his sword. And he tells his men to do likewise. And he makes his way towards Nabal and his men and his property with this anger bubbling away inside. He knows that vengeance is the Lord's, but in the heat of the moment, 
he forgets. And we are all just like David, aren't we? If we are honest with ourselves, we know, but in the heat of the moment, in the harsh realities of life, we forget that which we know. We are leaky buckets. The Christian life, therefore, is in large part remembering. It is intentionally remembering that which we already know. And I hope we do that every day ourselves, but we also gather together in the Lord's Day so that together, communally, we can remember. That's most obvious, I suppose, as we come to communion uh, around the table of remembrance, as we remember Jesus, uh, His life, His death, the promise of his, His coming again. We remember that which we know, but it's not just around the table of remembrance, actually for the sermon. For, now, some of us may be completely new to the Christian faith, and everything we hear is new and wonderful, and that's great. But for most of us, most of the time, what we hear during the sermon is not something that we have uh, never heard before. Occasionally we might hear, you know, we might learn a word, a Hebrew word or a Greek word or something like that. But, but most of what we hear, most of the time, is stuff that we already know. And that's not a bad thing. Because we are so apt, we are so prone to forgetting that which we know. We need to remember. We need to be reminded of that which we know. So that in the heat of the moment, when life is hard and unfair, we don't forget. And we don't behave as David behaved in this chapter, in that moment in his life. It's at the old wells that we find pure water which gives life and health and strength. Tell me the old, old story of unseen things above, of Jesus and his glory, of Jesus and his love. Tell me the story simply as to a little child, for I am weak and weary and helpless and defiant. David needs be reminded of that which he already knows. And we are just the same. The way that David was to treat others was to be determined not by how they treat him, but by, how, but by who his God is. And the same is true for us. The way that we treat others is not to be determined by the way that they have treated us but by the nature of our God. Or we could, we could word it like this. We could say, the way that we treat others is not to be determined by the way that they treat us, but by the way that God has treated us in Christ. While we were, we were still sinners, Christ died for us. While we were still God's enemies, He loved us, 
And so we are free to love, even our enemies, as He has loved us. We remember that Jesus will come again to bring everything, every deed done in darkness will be brought out into the light. He will judge justly. So we don't need to feel that we need to to take all these things into our own hands when we've been wronged. We did wrong, and the Lord loved us. We are trophies of grace. The blessings that we enjoy, the relationship that we enjoy with God is gift, it is grace. We've not earned it. And over and above that, we know that actually in the end, when Christ comes again, every wrong will be put right. So there's no need for us to harbor bitterness or anger in our hearts and we keep reminding ourselves of these great and glorious truths. So, Nabal, an ugly man. He might have been a very good-looking man, but ugly in character and ugly in behavior. David, a good man, but apt to forget. And when he forgets, he behaves badly. Even the best of us are apt to forget and to stumble. And so we must remind ourselves of the God that we love and serve. We must remember who He is, what He has done for us in Christ. And as we remember these things, we will find ourselves singing with Robert Robinson, prone to wander, Lord, I feel it, prone to leave the God I love. Here's my heart. Oh, take and seal it, seal it for thy courts above. We've had the ugly in Nabal. We've had the the bad in David's response to Nabal. But here is the good. Abigail. Abigail acts with wisdom and with courage, with goodness and with grace. Nabal is an ugly man, but he has married up. Some Some of us have married up. We look at our spouses and we think, how did I manage that? Uh, like me. <laughs> and Nabal is certainly married up. He is an ugly man, his character, his behavior. But his wife is beautiful. Uh, scripture tells us that Nabal has an intelligent and beautiful wife, verse 3. But she's not just intelligent, she's wise. And she's not just beautiful in outward appearance. Her character is beautiful. It's not her looks that shine through this text. It's her character. It's her nature that, 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 that radiates through these verses, through this passage. What a great example she offers to us to learn from and to look to. She's given bad news. Servant tells her what Nabal has said to David and says that disaster is hanging over her master and his entire household. That's verse 17. How do you react when you're given really bad news? You could deny it. You could say it can't, it can't be true. I'm not having it. I'm not dealing with it. I'm switching off. I'm shutting down. 
But she doesn't do that. She has the wisdom and the courage to face up to the reality of her situation. She wastes no time, verse 18, and takes action. She is wise and she is brave to go to David and his 600 men with their swords by their side. Takes great courage. She doesn't hide from him. She goes to him knowing that he is furious. And she is gracious. She puts herself at risk when she has done nothing wrong. Nabal is in the wrong. And David is in danger of doing wrong. But she has done nothing wrong. And yet she puts herself in harm's way. She could have just washed her hands of the whole thing. She could have left them to it. To suffer and to die in battle. But she is gracious, she is wise, she is brave, she is gracious, she is generous. Look at verse 18, she took 200 loaves of bread, two skins of wine, five dressed sheep, five sears of roasted grain, a hundred cakes of raisins, and 200 cakes of pressed figs and loaded them on donkeys. She takes the responsibility for what her foolish and wicked husband has done. And she asks for forgiveness. She gives generously to David. And then she encourages David. She knows exactly what's going on between David and, and, and Saul. And while her husband has kind of mocked him and said many Servants are running away from their masters. She encourages David. And how he must have soaked up those words of encouragement as he heard them. Because of her goodness, young men who would have died lived. Because of her goodness and her godliness, David was spared the weight of guilt and shame that would have been his had he taken vengeance into his own hands and slaughtered Nabal and his men. David said to Abigail, Praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, who has sent you today to meet me. May you be blessed for, the good, for your good judgment and for keeping me from bloodshed this day and from avenging myself with my own hands. Otherwise, as surely as the Lord, the God of Israel, lives who has kept me from harming you. So the Lord has been working through Abigail. That's a great thing, isn't it? That the Lord is pleased to work through people. May he be pleased to work through us. Otherwise, as surely as the Lord, the God of Israel, lives, who has kept me from harming you, if you had not come quickly to meet me, not one male belonging to Nabal would have been left alive by daybreak. Abigail, wise and good, in the face of so much 
foolishness and evil. And she offers us a great example that we might be wise and gracious and good in a world filled with so much foolishness and selfishness and sinfulness. I hope that we hunger for that, to be people like Abigail, to make a difference, to be used by the Lord to bring good, to bring his purposes to pass. And I wonder if you can think of any Abigails in your own life, people who have come alongside you and steered you in the right direction when you've been in danger of going off in the wrong direction and doing great damage to yourself and to others. How thankful we should be for Abigails in our own lives. And then look at verse 23 and 24. The best thing that we can say about Abigail is this. She points us to Jesus. She bows before David. She falls at his feet and says, My Lord, let the blame be on me alone. She has done nothing wrong, and yet she voluntarily takes responsibility for what Nabal has done and bows before David. She chooses to take the blame and to make right that which was wrong. And so there is peace in the place of war and there is life in the place of death. A picture of Jesus who committed no sin and yet said, let the blame be on me alone by going to the cross for us, for our sin, for our guilt, for our shame, for our ugliness, for our foolishness. And so for us in Christ, there is peace in the place of war, and there is life in the place of death. Remember how he has loved you, and keep reminding yourself. And as you do, you will find yourself a lot less likely to reach hastily for your sword when someone annoys you. And you will find yourself more and more like Abigail. How this world needs Abigails. People who are wise, brave, gracious, and godly to be used by the Lord to bring peace where there is conflict and to bring life where there is death as they point to Jesus by the lives that they live and by the words that they speak. May God grant us grace to become a wee bit more like Abigail and a wee bit less like Nabal. May we become, in the words of the Apostle Paul, blameless and pure, children of God without fault in a crooked and depraved generation in which we shine like stars in the universe as we hold out the word of life. Amen. We stand together 